and welcome to In A Different League, the official podcast of the original fantasy football game. We're your hosts, me, Jesse Parker-Humphreys. And me, Chris Pilau. And here's what's coming up this week. Christmas is fast approaching in real and fantasy league land, and we're on hand with the latest news, tips and advice ahead of the festive period. Joe and James Calverley join us to talk about how their diverging auction strategies have led them to share the top two in the last two years of the Calverley Classique. And we have not one but two members from head office, as we like to call them. Fancy League founder Andrew Weinstein joins Neil Mansfield in part three with plenty to chat through and to remind us why we are in a different league. So, Chris, fun weekend for both of us in sort of real Premier League land. How hard did you celebrate Michael Elise's? Penalty. <laughs> I celebrated for more than one reason. It was like the perfect thing for me as a Michael Elise owner oh, and a Crystal win, Palace win. fan. Uh, it was brilliant. And it's kind of, you know, there was something very fancy league about the Roy Hodgson laugh as well on the sidelines. And have you seen that sort of like laugh? That was fantastic. My girlfriend is a massive Roy Hodgson fan and I sent her that video and she loved it she nice. she thinks he's so funny all the time and I was like this is just peak Roy I like the idea of a massive Roy Hudson fan like part of the Roy she Hudson she might be the number club. one yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's uh, what we were all doing you know when it happened I think there were lots of you know sort of like cheers and you know everyone loved it and and even you did it Jesse you texted me saying you know you were excited about it so it was a big excitable moment in fantasy league and real league world and contributed to my 11-point score of the week, which is the same as it last week. I'm still in third. Not much has changed for me. But I hear that it's all change in the George Burrow Wednesday League. Yeah, the inevitable has happened. My poor form has continued. I got six, which is better than I've got in recent weeks. But I'm suddenly in fourth and 20 points off the top after some massive, massive weeks uh, from other people in my league. I've been looking at my team and I still feel, Chris, like looking at the group of players, there's really not that much wrong with them. Like my, my gen, I think where I've maybe gone wrong this season is that I don't have one outstanding scorer. I've done mm. more of a sort of hedge your bets strategy. But I still think the points that players are on right now should still get them to a decent level by the end of the season but just right now they're not scoring at all and I'm quite bemused by the whole thing the, there were two points of absolute irritation for me this week firstly the Julian Alvarez free kick that was I think rightly you know given as offside yeah. but that was just one where watching that back on Manchester uh, match of the day I was like I need that. I need that to count. And then also, Robert Sanchez, the absolute thorn in my side, my minus 10 pointer, injured. Yeah. So nothing for Chelsea's clean sheet. And who knows when he's going to be back. That's one of the worst things about this season, owning a a defender or goalkeeper who keeps a clean sheet and then you realise they're not playing. Yeah. But the clean sheets were, were all of my six points this week. Pedro Porro is hauling me through yeah I mean not hauling me very far but <laughs> but you have faith in the system you don't have a, I mean it's quite soon I know it's not soon you've still got to wait so that's a good thing about you know it's not like you you have the opportunity to have a massive knee-jerk reaction you're gonna you're gonna consolidate go into the festive period happy with what took you this far and that you can sure you can bounce back yeah and the interesting thing I guess and I don't know how much you've started thinking about this or looking at this is obviously Asia Cup and AFCON coming up in January and I had to go and look at sort of everyone else's teams in my league and think oh where's it going wrong who's really looking like the favourite and I've got to say my dad's team I think so Chris is currently top but I feel like he's being powered by Ollie Watkins and I just don't know how how much I believe Aston Villa is going to carry on going but maybe that's foolish of me we'll get to that later maybe that's foolish of me but my dad has Hyungmin Son and Mo Salah both great players to have but crucially both about to disappear for a chunk of time and is he aware because there are some people who aren't aware yet or they're not like completely they're almost in denial he will be when he listens to the podcast if he wasn't already I'm sure he is (laughs) I'm sure he is there are some people in denial being like oh maybe he just won't go or something (laughs) Uh, I've had a look at my squad and I'm completely untarnished 
I'm free. No one goes. But I can't say I did it deliberately. I didn't go into the auction saying that I needed to avoid players that might be going to one of those two tournaments. Uh, but I'll be OK. We'll see. Maybe. I am the Aston Villa, as I said, of my league. It could be on a title run, but I don't like to say it. But I do need to say that at the bottom of our league, uh, while we're still talking about ours, well, a couple of things. Firstly, we had our Christmas social on Saturday. So the reason that we said about the Man City Michael Elise thing, I was actually sat amongst all the fancy league managers in the pub. We did a little uh, pub crawl via Garrett Lane Wines, by the way, where Brendan gave us a can each and we got a great photo of all of us together. It was amazing. It was great to see... It was kind of really nice to, to kind of like be around, you know, in a social situation with everyone there, seeing everyone's reactions in real time. Actually, it was a bit of a general groan about the clean sheets when Man City conceded because there are a lot of people with Man City defenders. But it was, you know, it was quite nice seeing as well, you know, when starting 11s are being announced, which again, with Man City is almost like a bingo card or like a lottery, like who has actually started. But it was a ni- nice to be amongst people going through familiar things on, on, on that day. And... Another thing that makes it so exciting is that we are now, we're going to look ahead to the next game week, but this is the last game week, and it's not even a full game week, it's only nine fixtures, but one game week away now from the Christmas sacking in my league, and it's gone down to six points, and the fact that you said that you are now 20 points off the top... I say it's down six points. It is. So the bottom place, Reese, who was the champion last season, is bottom. There's a six-point gap with Woody, the guy above him. The guy ahead is only 15 points ahead. And I'm like, look, well, Kez isn't completely safe. You know, things can happen. Who knows what can happen this weekend? Uh, Everyone seems to think it's between the two of them. But it really will go down to the final date. It will go down to Christmas Eve. Wow. I mean, that, I feel like this is, you know, there's been a lot of chat about the Christmas Eve fixture, Chelsea obviously going to Wolves and how much that is just horrible for both sets of fans, but, you know, particularly the away fans. But I don't think there's been enough discussion about what this means for the poor manager who exactly. will be at the bottom of your, you know, on Christ, sacked on Christmas Eve. I think of him on Christmas Day, you know, he'll be depressed sitting there on, waking on Christmas up, Day. So waking up without over. a fantasy league team with the oh next manager God. asking for his login details so we can change the password. You don't want that on Christmas That's Day morning. brutal. That's absolutely brutal. The Premier League needs to answer for this, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah so we've got that coming up the first game kicks off on Thursday there are EFL Cup games happening this week which could mean injuries and things we are not aware of at the time of recording could be impacting Chelsea for example could be impacting Newcastle further we'll have to wait and see and there's no Man City Brentford in case you didn't know uh, listeners because uh, Man City are off to play in the Club World Cup but there are nine fixtures and it starts with Crystal Palace which I'm actually not too bothered about because then Palace actually get the longest break with the following game week and it's a big one Palace against Brighton the derby uh, which shouldn't really be a derby but it is the A23 derby the A23 derby a road exactly. I know well and talking of A23, talking of roads, it, uh, Palace are kind of turning a corner, which I said that they weren't really last week, but I think that they are. You know, they've also, I saw that they've conceded the fifth least shots on target in the league, so they're, they're defending quite well. They're capable of defending quite well. I know that they conceded two goals, but it's against Man City, but they, they got the point. Elise is back, and, and I think Roy, you know, fans of Roy Hodgson will know <laughs> and would like to hear that he's done really well at actually managing these sort of semi-fit players. Brings on, he doesn't, he's resisted the temptation to just play and start players when they're completely fit. And I think it's working. It's kind of a bit of a high-risk game to play. But we could be in a period now, as we enter the festive period, where we could have Eze and Elise. And playing against the likes of Chelsea, Brentford and Brighton, obviously, first, the sorts of teams that could offer space for those teams to play in, I don't know, I'm starting to get positive about Crystal Palace Football Club yet again. Oh, no. This could. This is only going to end one way. I, I can see it. But it's going to be interesting, I think, them, them playing against Brighton, obviously. Brighton um, losing 2-0 to Arsenal in a game which Arsenal just entirely dominated. I think Brighton, who'd been on that incredible scoring run, didn't even manage to have a shot until about the 60th minute. Do you, is this a game where you're like, oh no, they're going to you know, come, come out all guns blazing as a result? Or do you think for Brighton it's, it, it might all still be feeling quite wobbly? It is wobbly there. I mean, the, the fact that they're not, gonna, they're not playing in the Europa League for a while now will do them a favour 
because De Zerbi seems to be obsessed with this idea that no one can play twice. And, you know, he, he manages his squad almost too well. I said before about the Man City eleven, but it's quite chaotic the way that De Zerbi picks his eleven. It kind of seems to change all the time. So maybe the team will settle. Uh, but then again, we're about to go into the festive period where there are games every every five minutes, so so maybe not. Yeah, I'm co- I am confident about this game because of the way Brighton have not been defending well this season, and and I hope that continues for at least one more game. Is the way that I see it. That's understandable. The Friday fixture then is Villa Sheffield United. I mean, Sheffield United even contrived to lose to Chelsea, so they must be rubbish. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, I, I know I said earlier I don't think the Ollie Watkins slash Villa train will be able to like really hold up all the way to the end of the season, but this feels like a pretty clear cut one with Villa and their amazing home form. Yeah, I don't have a million things to say about Sheffield United, but I was listening to Chris Wilder on the radio the other day and he was speaking quite, and I was like, oh, you know, he's speaking quite interestingly here. Therefore, you know, you see that sometimes being like, therefore, I think they might be, they might do well. But <laughs> but we're going to have to wait and see on that one. With Villa, I'll just say, no one else is willing to say it in the media. Apart, you know, Villa fans are saying it. I was going to ask it as a question, but I, I know that what you've said already, you're not really going to get on board with this maybe. But I was going to say, maybe we should be the ones to back and guide them. Call them favourites? No. But maybe we should try and guide this title, this, this title win into happening. You know, everyone's too scared to say it. You're like, oh no, I can't say that it's going to last forever. It might happen. They've got amazing fixtures coming up as well. Sheffield United, Burnley, Newcastle at home. They win every home game a million nil. United away. Um, you'd think they'll be able to exploit holes there the way that Bournemouth did, 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 to, um, did to Man United as well. You know, Villa haven't just been on this lucky run. They're about to, you know, generate even more points here. I'm excited. Here's what I will say, Unai. I will get behind you and support you in your quest for the Premier League title if you drop Ollie Watkins and always play Musa Diaby and Matty Cash. Yeah, then okay. I will be there no matter what. Changing my mind now. And you're <laughs> right, but Alex Moreno I would have made many auction owners happy. Uh, as in, A lot of people would have bought him in the auction and those who stuck with him. Um, but the Matty Cash owners like yourself are no longer happy. No. Um, another interesting one that, that's the early kickoff on Saturday is West Ham United. United, just such a weird team at the moment. They, I don't think they, you can't say they were good against Liverpool, but I don't think anyone was really good in that game. It was absolute dross to watch. Uh, but West Ham feel like they're on a bit of a sneaky, good vibes train. They're, they're a bit like Palace, I think, where everyone's like, oh no, they're not very good, but they just keep picking up decent results. Yeah, again, the Europe factor might be something with them. Kind of people seem to forget... I was a bit critical of them last week, I think. I said that they'd, re- they'd only just realised they'd got rid of Declan Rice. Um, but they're quite similar in that respect, West Ham Man United, in that they've been quite inconsistent. But someone who has been consistent, and it'll be very obvious the answer to this, although I was surprised when I read it. But do you know who the third highest scoring Premier League player is? And he is the leading Englishman as well. And it's not Ollie Watkins. I'm going to assume it's Jared Because it's Jared <laughs> I know, but that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, obviously not in Fantasy League land. Fantasy League land, Ollie Watkins has picked up the assist as well. But yeah, he's kind of cre- he's crept up out of nowhere. And the way that Kudus was playing, Pakitar, they, they seem to play really well over the weekend. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that those two players aren't picked up. At least one of them might not be picked up in a league out there. And the goalkeeper situation, we spoke about goalkeepers last week. The goalkeeper situation there is interesting. It's like David Moyes hasn't quite made up his mind yet now. He's had a couple of injuries between them, Mariola and Fabianski. And he could suddenly change his mind now and pick a new starting goalkeeper, which could be an opportunity for fancy league managers out there. The only thing I will say on Kudus from a nerdy point of view, because I have been quite intrigued by this, he's obviously got five goals this season, but he's got them from an XG of 1.7. So that I, he's running hot, is all I'll say. So I feel like if you're in a position where you can maybe have him in and then have him out quite quickly, might be worth it. If you have to sort of, if you were in my kind of position where you'd have to, if you could get him, you'd have to really have him. He's the, he's the opposite of Darwin Nunez. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And plays for Ghana. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Always thinking. Um, and, well, talking about bringing players in really quickly, uh, there might have been a rush for Raul Jimenez last weekend and that uh, plan will have um, fallen flat on its face for a lot of people. Fulham are playing Burnley, one of quite a few three o'clock... People could get stung by these three o'clock fixtures if they've got to pick an 11. 
if they've got multiple forwards playing here a few promoted sides playing <laughs> I saw that and I was like oh I haven't looked at my super subs yet but that could be one and that, you know that could make a massive difference even for the Christmas sacking in my league uh, but yeah Fulham oh dear Raul Jimenez I said that he wasn't a player that existed in our league it did make me wonder who is the biggest player not to exist in anyone else's league well he certainly will not exist this weekend will he no he will not I think the standout fixture for me though for, from those three o'clocks is Spurs Everton Everton on this incredible winning run Spurs seeming to have got over that little blip they had you know a couple of back to back wins here that could be um, a really interesting a really interesting matchup yeah, and Ange Postacoglu, I was about to just call him Ange, but Ange Postacoglu has been quite clever with Richarlison and is kind of like preparing him. Maybe he's been preparing him to be Son's replacement. He's been quite patient um, mm. and he's been quite humble, Postacoglu. He's saying, oh, you know, well, now he's in a physically better shape uh, and he's fitter and he's a bit more able. But he must have been getting his arm around him as well. He saw how down Richarlison was and he's really going, you know, the game on Friday, he's sprinting, he's finding space, he's creating space. In our league, Johnny, the guy who owned Richarlison, almost did the same thing as Postacoglu because he kept, he got him in the auction and kept him all this time. He put his arm around him. Wow. Um, wow. So and it's paying off. It is so paying Johnny, off and I think it Spurs will Spurs fans off. should thank Yes, yes, that's how it works. And and mm. Kulusevsky should thank me for giving him a kick up the arse last week, uh, listening to my pep talk, uh, because he was probably the best player on the pitch on Friday and he got me five points, so thanks, Kulusevsky. Well, I'm and always here. listen, I, I could never say that I do play a, a different version of Fantasy League, but I did take your pep talk to heart in that one and it, it paid off for me over there, put it that oh. way. There you go. I'm always here. I'm always here to offer advice for other people's teams and, and not well, sometimes my own. Uh, for Richarlison, by the way, he probably, we don't know, but he might also take over penalties when Son goes. Mm, yeah, that that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. I think the best sort of of these Christmas fixtures is going to be Liverpool-Arsenal, although if, if it's anything like Liverpool-Man United and, you know, Arsenal's sort of propensity to, to control rather than entertain, it might not be as thrilling as, as it seems on paper, but this kind of feels like, obviously, you know, we've spoken to Unai about how we want Villa to do, but for me, these two teams, it's like up, it, the title's theirs to lose at this point, in my opinion. Um, given yeah, yeah. The, the advantage they have over City right now. Obviously, we saw Arsenal manage to lose it last year, but this could have big implications. Do you see Liverpool sort of getting over their frustration from the United game? No, I'm still not really impressed by them. I don't know, I, I, do you fear Liverpool? You know, I, who? if Chelsea were playing one of these two teams next week, I think I would... Would you not fear Arsenal more than Liverpool? I don't fear Liverpool as a team in a way that I have done in the past. I, I just don't think the way that they're playing... You know you can score against them. And there's su such an over-reliance on Mo Salah as well. When he disappears, you know, it's not like everyone's flooding in with points in fantasy league, as, you know, from a fantasy league point of view as well. Their numbers have actually gone down in our league. We keep a tally of how many players you get per club each month. And Liverpool's just have like tumbled down. People aren't really impressed with some of those other players because they're not they're they're not contributing as much. And I think that is right about Salah. Yeah, he's on eleven goals, and then every, then it's just sort of like two, three, yeah. four for the rest. And he's obviously disappearing. There was that thing, you know, there were loads of shots against Man United, like thirty-four shots, but loads. But I don't really remember any of them, and they're all from outside the area. But how does this Liverpool team play? I don't know. There is definitely, I think, a reliance on Salah. And then I think there's also been, in recent weeks, a lot of reliance on sort of Trent, Trent finding yeah. these moments, moments of magic. And, you know, he, he was the person who almost got closest to, to doing that in the, in the United game. He's going to be interesting. I'm a Cody Gakpo owner, um, and I've stuck with him, even though he's not played a chunk, just because I'm hoping he will get minutes in January when, when Salah goes. And he has been getting good chunks of time. He came on in that United game, but he was a bit a bit of an annoying player. But I, I understand there is sort of this sense of... But, you know, sometimes I find that with City as well. It, it's like they do all chip in at, at points, but there isn't, you know, there's the one outstanding player, which, you know, City kind of have with Haaland, I guess, when he's fit. Liverpool have with Salah. And then there's almost so many other options. It's a bit unclear, like, where the points are, are coming from. Hmm. Um, the Trent yeah. thing looked a bit desperate the other day. 
they're kind of like they was almost like they were treating him like Steven Gerrard like just mm. kept just pumping the ball into him and in the middle as well and just sort of like right try and do something with this now I don't know I haven't been impressed with Liverpool this season. I think a lot of it is frustration from that Palace game a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, I think it's more in that. But in answer to your question, I think, and I'm more fearful of Arsenal. I think it's more kind of Arsenal's to lose, just based on how their squad is operating and how they're getting through these games. Whereas Liverpool look like they're sort of like limping over the line for these games, sort of like getting away with it more than Arsenal, who are actually kind of fighting and battling for these points. It's just kind of like from a very general point of view, that's how it seems to me. And finishing off then on that Christmas Eve, the moment of truth Ooh, yeah. for the managers at, at the bottom of your league, uh, Chelsea heading to Wolves. I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about Chelsea this week, Jesse. <laughs> I've done my bit. You're not talking about. <laughs> I, I'm just. Lo- I'm still looking at the underlying numbers, and it it does like kind of melt my brain that I'm like I just don't think Chelsea are this bad. For context, their expected goal difference is above Aston Villa's. That's all I'm saying from the nerdy perspective. I do think that the Sheffield United win was really important. I think if Chelsea can get a win over Newcastle, which by the time you listen to this, listener, you will know whether that has happened, that could be a real big confidence boost. And Kunku was finally on the bench against Sheffield United. Yes, uh, Pop said he might get be able to get minutes soon again. Potential savior for the. He could be your big star player. Team, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Wolves obviously coming off the back of that West Ham battering. So this feels like one that Chelsea should do, but we know at this point there's no point relying on them to to do it. No, I I was just having a quick um, check there to see whether Reese and Woody, who are the bottom two, whether they have Wolves and Chelsea players. As I said all season, Wolves just seem really underrepresented and they don't have any Wolves players between them. Uh, they do have Chil- uh, Chelsea players. Reese has got Chilwell, which kind of means he doesn't have a Chelsea player. And then, yeah, Christmas Day and then the festive period really properly begins. So, yeah, a really exciting weekend, extended weekend coming up, finishing on Christmas Eve, lots to play for, and then the festive period really properly starts after that. We'll see you on the other side, and in the meantime, we'll see you in part two. Right, so as you all know, in part two, we usually have a guest on to talk about their league, their fantasy league, and today we have not one, but two guests. We have two cousins, James and Joe Calverley, from the Calverley Classique. Welcome, James and Joe. Thank you, yeah, nice to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. And uh, we'll start on that family link, I think, because the reason you both play is actually thanks to your dads. Yeah, no, absolutely. So our our dads, twins, they've been playing, I think, since 1994, something like that. And they, uh, yeah, they were in a, another league. We joined as soon as we could talk, really. <laughs> <laughs> that was around, what, 2007, 2008. We continued in that league for it was another 10 years or so, James. Yeah. And, uh, that was with my, my uncle. Uh, his, and all of his mates and then a couple of divorces later and <laughs> we ended up in our in our own league with all of our all of the other Calvary's. We were talking last night about how before we started up the Calvary Classique, we would always talk about our other auction league that we'd that we would do. And you know, there would be sort of that far off intrigue and interest. You know, we'd always talk about it at the, the Calvary meetups and and everyone would always be like, Yeah, how's how's that league you're doing going? And then and then eventually we sort of had that interest and sort of set up our own league. So how many of the yeah. family are, are in the league at this point? Joe and I, obviously cousins. My my brother is also Andrew. He's also involved. Our other younger cousin, Miles, is also involved. And then my two uncles, so Joe's dad and twin, our dad's older brother as well. So six of us family members. We've roped in a couple of extras along the years as well. So my sister's boyfriend now plays, not particularly successfully. <laughs> Sorry, Jack. And then one of my friends from, from back home also plays. So we've had sort of between, between six and nine throughout the years, but always been yeah very much a family affair amazing well christmas is coming up it must make uh, family reunions absolutely well unbearable for others brilliant for you you've got plenty to talk about but do you ever get banned from talking about it at the at the dinner table yeah that's exactly what happens i was gonna say it's, it's excellent or terrible depending on your perspective and, and who you are but there's some sometimes that the tv and checking of scores is, is definitely banned yeah we uh, we met up a couple months ago now and i think at the time james was Second bottom, and there was strict no no FFL talking policy. And now you're now you're what managed month for November and December, so you're 
firmly back in the conversation it must be really difficult because I know what it's like sort of like meeting up with a mate and like maybe like our other halves or something and then they're like god every now and then they're like right stop talking about it yeah it is pretty yeah we both moved to London the last last few years and we quite often just meet up and go to a game and we end up just not even watching the game and just literally talking about fantasy football looking at the league table and who owns who and the free agents we went to a, uh, a film game a couple of years ago I mean we were talking about this last night we literally couldn't even remember who they were playing <laughs> I'm very intrigued because you, you said when, when you emailed in that you have very different auction strategies they seem to have worked out for both of you so You've both won the last two editions, right? Like one, 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 the other. Yeah, that's right. So James won last year within about 10 points to me. And then I won the year before. I think a little bit more than 10 points, but split I knew that was coming. Uh, Who's mentioning it? Who's mentioning it? (laughs) I I mean, I go into the auction. I mean, both of us go to the auction with uh, lots of prep, but... It's it's worth saying that there are interesting auction strategies across the board, (laughs) somewhat split by generation. And what invariably ends up happening is... That the, the younger generation generally come with their laptops and spreadsheets that we all claim we've only made that morning, but really have been nursing them for months. The older generation generally come with a few bits of paper with some names scrawled on and, 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 and are asking who the new the new foreign import is and, and how to pronounce their name. That's generally how we get started. Yeah, I mean, I, I come into it with, I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan, so I usually come into it with an idea of which striker I want to buy. I think this year, for, for right or wrong, that was Darwin. Last year, it was Salah. There's always one player, at least, that I've got my eye on. I always like to pick up a couple of the other sort of mid-table strikers. So this year, we've got Solanke, Berwin, doing quite well. James is maybe a little bit more opposite to that, where he'll try and find the value as it comes up. Yeah, so I, I generally try not to decide the specific players I'm going to buy before the auction. I generally just try and go in with a view on how much I think kind of everyone is worth or try engaging that early on in the auction based on how much players are going for and kind of just wing it from there and not have favourites, which um, buying Kai Havertz this year, I'm never going to live that day. And that was, I I still maintain the value is there, but I have, I have just, just sold him actually, despite his recent upturn in form. So yeah, it it can backfire. Sometimes I end up with players that I really don't want, but yeah, it's uh, it's always good fun. I I don't want to embarrass you, but listeners can't see, but I I, I like how James, the sort of like the analyst's approach, James right now has got his headset on and looks very (laughs) sort of like that sort of character. Joe, you know, really laid back, get this hoodie on, you know, I'm just going to pick this player and this big player, this big player. Uh, Joe, you said that you're a Liverpool fan, but are you not all Liverpool fans? But seeing as you're all part of the same family, we're actually, do you all have different... I'm the only one that's not a Newcastle Ooh. fan. That there is a traitor amongst the ranks. How did that yeah. happen? I was two or three years old. I remember being a Newcastle fan briefly. I mean, I was just a massive Stephen Gerrard fan. I think I just switched allegiances. Um, there's no good explanation. There's no good explanation. There's not. There's, there's nothing else to come. And does that mean that Newcastle players kind of are hard to come by in the auction then, because everyone's after them and and everyone's an expert? I would say it's been mixed actually. I think the 20 years of pain prior to the last few years has meant that people have probably been more pessimistic than optimistic about Newcastle's fortunes. There always is a little bit of bias. Obviously, if there's a, a potential. Newcastle attacker that's going to get lots of points or everyone always wants them because it's almost like double celebration when they score but I'd say even in the last couple of years there haven't been haven't been massively inflated values I wouldn't say on, on Newcastle players I think I think we're still all getting used to the fact that we're actually not terrible anymore but someone ended up with Tonali and well actually everyone's probably got a Tonali now everyone who does have a Newcastle player has probably got someone injured as things stand uh, Joe I embarrassed James earlier uh, although this isn't perhaps worthy of embarrassment but Joe you wrote in and you've um, it's it's actually definitely not um, but you have been, you've been writing a blog I was going to say Chris I know where this question is going yeah. and we literally run a fantasy league podcast I, so I don't know what this says about us uh, you've been writing a blog about fantasy league which is brilliant and not worthy of embarrassment at all <laughs> I said that. Uh, yeah, so it's actually something I've not picked up in quite a while now, a year and a half or so. Um, yeah, the, I wrote a couple of pieces a, a little while back. I started off sort of wanting just to talk about kind of our league in the same way that we can come onto a podcast and talk for hours about all of the different nuances and stories in our league. I kind of just wanted to write some of that down, really. So I think I've got I've got one of those articles is talking about the you know the history of our fancy league and talk, going back through the last ten years or so, fifteen years now actually. And going through all the how our how our leagues changed and all of that sort of stuff, and then I think I wrote a different piece about at the time who was the most successful manager and trying to gauge whether that was based on total points cumulatively or whether it was based on how many 
you know podiums you got or as we as we'd actually do it in our league we meet up every year at the auction and we always take a photo and we have the podium you know top three we all sit on a particular sofa and we have that photo and that's one of our one of our traditions so it's about whether you get on the sofa or not nice i like it and what sort of stories whether they appeared on the blog or or kind of get circulated around the the dinner table when you are allowed to be talking about fancy league what are the the sort of the big stories that keep coming up or that people keep getting ridiculed for are there are there any that stand out i think our our first ever season couldn't really have ended in a more dramatic way we only had six managers so there was quite a few good players in the free agents there was quite a lot of opportunity to to pick up players after the auction and, and still kind of redeem your team if you weren't happy with it at christmas my dad was was rock bottom on boxing day in particular there was a moment where he had to choose between a couple of his strikers you know how it is given there are lots of games kicking off at the same time and he had four strikers that were playing at the same time i believe it was between chris wood and callum wilson when he was at bournemouth and he benched the wrong one and they scored a couple the one he benched scored a couple of goals and he was bottom of the league and the ffl chat wasn't out of his uh vocabulary there and he was moaning all day um he then bought a bamiyang in january when he joined arsenal he then went on his uh, his hot scoring streak. And then going into the last day, he'd actually gained up the ranks up to second. I think there was about 15 points. I was actually top at the time. 15 points between him and I going into the last day. And he had... I can't remember the place. I, I've had to blank it out of my memory. I'm sure you can tell what's about to come. But yeah, he, he overtook me on the last day. He and Andy Robertson's 85th minute goal for Liverpool took him top. And then in, in the most dramatic way, Gabriel Jesus, his 94th minute goal. I had Jesus, of course, hadn't played him, had him on my bench. Jesus' his 94th minute goal for Man City and then won 1-0 on the last day. Uh, yeah, on, on my bench. And he ended up winning by two points. So, yeah, the first season, that, that's, uh, that's gone, down, gone down in history. And, yeah, I obviously got t- overtaken on the last day. And then only last year was the first time I'd won. So it was... Uh, it was four years after that of pain of not winning. Yeah, there was a couple of seasons where, I mean, the two times I've won, more than anyone else, <laughs> is also the two times that James has come second. And both of those years were the two highest scoring years. And James, in any other year, would have also won, if not for me. So I think there was a, there was a little bit of bitterness going into last year and a slight disbelief that that could happen again. Who's winning this year? Joe's team is top, but thankfully, and luckily for everyone else, Joe has now partnered up with his dad to do a joint team. My uncle, Mark, he couldn't make the auction this year, so he and Joe are doing a joint team. So we've all very much agreed that if uh, if Joe Mark's team wins again, obviously it doesn't count to Joe's tally, so that's nice. Oh, you've got lots on your plate, uh, Joe. You're, how does that work? You're doing this, you, you did the auction for him, but you're still, you're still assisting, you're still like whispering into his ear yeah so we is i mean i think a couple of the other guests have talked about how fancy football is just a great way to stay in touch with family friends for us it's definitely obviously we do it with our our family i think meeting up at the auction every year having something sort of not that we wouldn't talk to each other at calvary events but it's definitely something that really keeps us sort of with a strong bond this year um with my dad obviously we don't sort of we live quite far apart and it's just a really nice actually reason for us to kind of pick up the phone every week have a quick chat about maybe some players that we want to bid for and that i mean that actually speaks quickly to one of the rules that we can maybe talk about which is that we do a weekly closed bids yeah we we actually don't use the um the sealed bids engine we, this is just a historic thing we picked up and, and always run with yeah we just send in we send in an email to to the, the chairman which is which is me so everyone sends in their emails to me um, I, I sort of submit mine on sort of Wednesday. Everyone sends me theirs on Thursday, so I, I don't get the benefit of seeing everyone else's bids before I make my own. But yeah, we have a weekly weekly bids window, which we were quite surprised. We you know we obviously we don't really know anyone else that plays the game in this format particularly. So we were, we were very intrigued to hear. I think Jesse, you were saying you have a two two monthly window, yeah. which like the idea of not being able to buy a player and immediately knee jerk sell him is like so, so alien to our league. Um, and there, there have been some some funny moments. We we had one literally this week where Will, my the, one of the non calvaries my friend from back home, he, he was top. Okay. <laughs> one of the non calvaries yeah. He was top until last week. Um, he had a, a 30 or 40 point lead at one point this year. He had a, a storming first couple of months. Him blowing his lead obviously got to his head because he bought double Man United defence two weeks ago before the Bournemouth game where they lost 3-0 and then immediately sold them both a week, a week oh. later. 
So it's very funny to um, yeah when you when you see people's knee jerking one week to the other. Yeah, yeah I think that would that. stress me out. I, I quite like having the two. It's annoying. It's been interesting, like similar to, to what you guys are saying. Like, before I did this pod, I didn't really know anyone who played this version of the game and it has been fascinating to hear about like the different rules points scoring auctions because mine has always been like it's a real almost like set and forget type thing that you can do if you want um and i've like only made one transfer all year and it's been disastrous so now i'm just like i don't want to touch my team at all but my my lead has been erased as well so um i I feel for your for your friend yeah i mean i was working out the the other day that since the start of the year a couple of players that weren't injured or suspended or whatnot and i'm pretty sure it was like sold four players three of them have scored the weekend afterwards <laughs> it's always good having that weekly transfers where there's always some story that week about who's sold who and who's bought who and like james was saying earlier he sold Havertz this week and then he's inevitably scored and get oversell regret a lot quicker i think if it's done every week. yeah i mean okay, it was a couple of weeks ago that um i know it was a hot topic on the podcast but i bought mopay we bought mopay i think a week before everyone else did the week before he got that assist that James insists shouldn't have been the assist I was satisfied that it was a bit of a punt and you know an assist is better than nothing so I sold him for a, a better prospect obviously he then went and scored and then we bought him back so it was, it's it's good having that weekly transfers where you can really just knee jerk back and forwards we definitely do have some managers though that are less active than others like our younger cousin who has a very blasé approach to it and buys his auction team and kind of sets and forgets and doesn't doesn't do all the tinkering like we do. He won in the COVID year, I think it was, and he basically didn't make any transfers. And he had, I can't remember exactly who it was, but he had a fullback who had been, had sold, had been transferred out of the league. He'd been sold by his club, you know, couldn't play. And he just kept him. He just said, well, he's not getting me minus points, so it'll do. Wow. Really are different approaches to play. There's just something so satisfying about putting yourself on a whim and bidding big for the for the players that you really fancy at the auction and then you're the only one that gets to celebrate their goals at the rest of the season I think you can't quite match that in FPL yeah. yeah completely agree with that I really sort of enjoy that whole strategic thing I mean the auction is definitely one of the best best days of the year I think and many people who play the game would agree and I think it's just that sort of excitement about whether your strategy is going to work and whether you're know, going with a new one maybe I mean, it was, um, I remember an auction a couple of years ago, it was after I won actually, and I had quite a reputation of not spending very much on players. Uh, I would always try and maybe no more than 10 or 10 or 15 in our 50 million budget. And I bought Salah last year, and James and Will literally jumped up and were like celebrating. You know, still almost won as well. What uh, James's friend Will did this year, he, you know, he didn't buy any players for like maybe the first hour or so and then almost bought about 15 in a row well between two and eight million seems to have worked pretty well this year given he's now second well look it's been great to have you both on james and joe we hope it goes well we don't whether it's it's one or both of you or, or whether joe wins it one way or another good luck in the calverly classique we look forward to hearing how it goes on and we'd love for any other family members as well to get in touch if you've got a sort of a, a family uh, reunion happening in your fantasy league then then let us know uh, you know where to find us on podcast at fantasyleague.co.uk by email please keep getting in touch on social media as well at fantasy league we'd love to hear from all the other leagues out there just like the Calvaries. thanks very much and we'll see you all in part three Welcome back to part three, where we are joined, as always, by Neil Mansfield. But we also have an extra special guest joining us because it's almost Christmas. Welcome to Mr. Fancy League himself, Andrew Weinstein. Andrew, how are you doing? Very good. Lovely to be here. Hi there. I guess we should start with um, the podcast was your idea, but you've sort of been listening in the background is it everything you dreamed of is it everything you envisaged yes yeah it really is and more yeah i mean it's it's been great i, I think one of the one of the best things about the podcast is that we built it from within you know both you guys are, are seasoned players hosting it brilliantly and i just think the feel the tone the content everything is just as i as i hoped it would be which i guess is yeah is, is brilliant it feels like it's brought the audience closer to the game um, which really does remind me of the old days when actually there was a team of us on the phones taking people phoning in their transfers every Friday afternoon. And we would we would literally pick up the phone 
and it would be Neil from whatever league, and he'd like, okay, here are the changes for it. was almost like the Eurovision. You know, here are the changes from the, the whatever league. And we'd say, oh, how's it going, Neil? And there'd be this sort of chat. And we actually also, at the, around about the same time, there was this Radio 5 show, which was a Sunday morning thing. Game players used to, to phone in. So this feels like we're, we're revisiting that, which feels like, you know, the way it should be with this. You know, we're always about sort of the audience being very much knitted into part of the game. I was just um, fishing for some compliments early on there. So <laughs> <laughs> um, how's the season been going from, from your perspective? Well, I mean, everyone knows that it got off to a pretty bumpy start. So it was, yeah, it was really stressful and really disappointing. And we were really feeling for everyone out there. But I think September was where it sort of turned around. We went back to the old platform. And the thing that, I mean, Neil's talked about a few times, it's just how blown away we were by the, the contribution and the response from everyone. Because I don't, well, I don't think we would have done it without the, basically the audience coming coming to the rescue of the audience, which was just a brilliant thing. You know, helping with all the support and obviously everyone else just being very patient as we sort of righted the ship. Since then, we've been very happy with how it's going. Yeah, there's been lots of positive messaging coming out of of kind of what happened, and obviously, you know, lots of people say how chuffed they are that that it kind of got resolved and it's back on the old platform but I suppose the podcast has also given an opportunity to to listen to uh, the guests we've had so far and the people who play the game and there have been a couple of recurring themes and it's like uh, fancy league bingo that every week someone says that the auction is like Christmas day but it must be great for you so many years later to be hearing that hearing those words and hearing from the people who play the game that love it so much and who are still here so many years later yeah, it really is. It really is. And I guess as I've sort of grown up with the game, you know, I always sort of thought about it as, as a game. I was sort of into games and into football. Then there was probably a period in the year over the over many, many years where obviously it turned into a business. Then it became, I think, something that was all about technology. And now I think when you hear that sort of stuff, for me, it reminds me of what it really is, which is just a, I hate the term, but it is a sort of a social network. It's really at the end of the day, it's a social thing that brings people together, which is just a really fun thing to be able to do. Is this the beginning sort of, you know, of you launched the original version of the game and obviously there are other versions of the game that, that have existed and that continue to exist. But it's perhaps one of the wider goals here to get more people playing this version of the game and sort of world domination maybe. Uh, but to maybe to attract one or few others from FPL and other versions of the game can also be played. But how strongly do you still feel uh, attached to this version of the game, the auction-based game, the original game? Well, very, and I think... If you get me talking about that, I can be quite violently in favour of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think the simple answer is that that's what's kept me involved for 32 years. It's just a belief that we haven't really got going yet and that this format is just head and shoulders against above everything else. And it does just feel like we just want to expose it to as many people as possible. I mean, we don't really care about world domination, but we just like to have a, a slightly bigger niche than we have. You know, once we get people in, we keep them. It's just it's just finding a way to get more people in, which I guess this podcast is is partly there for. And I guess, obviously, in terms of looking forward, there'll be sort of lots of people intrigued about like what's coming this year, what comes next. Is there anything you can sort of tell us about the future? Well, I think people will be pleased to hear that you know the the, the key word here is stability. Um, we've, we've had enough sort of change in the last six months. So yeah, we we just want to basically lean into the existing platform, make it as as good as it is. We're already working on sort of optimizing it. Want to give it a sort of a lick of paint, improve the the front end as much as possible, just get it working as, as well as it possibly can. We had a situation where we felt we had to re, uh, replace it. We, we then obviously realized that uh, that was a much more complicated thing than we'd expected, took a lot longer. And we realized also that we were able to operate this thing, take have much more control over this platform than we believed we might, uh, which then gives us that much more potential to move forward with, with it. So for the foreseeable future, this is, what, this is what we'll be doing and we just want to improve it as much as we can. So kind of a Christmas scoop there that all the listeners will be able to hear that, that next season will be unaffected or, or rather it will be affected positively because you're, you're looking at introducing and, and, and improving and tweaking as you go, but also that the auction next season, everyone can look forward to an auction as usual. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we know that the launch of the season has to be right every year, especially after last year. 
So we're being very conservative, careful about dates, planning, and we're going to have it up as early as we possibly can so that even those very early sort of July auctions can can benefit from, from the platform as they know it. And everyone will be desperate to be buying the Arsenal title winners. Is this one of these things where we're allowed to reveal who the founder supports or is it one of these things that has to be kept completely secret? No, no, no. I'm a very, I'm a very proud Arsenal fan. Uh, but, you know, after last season, this, I, was, I was at the stadium on, on Sunday and I thought it was probably our best performance of this season. I thought we were brilliant. But even then, the atmosphere is not what it was last season. And I think that's something to do with the fact that people just don't want to get too excited. There's all this sort of no, 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 no. We can't, we can't get. Let's not get too excited. Which is sort of a good and a bad thing, really. It's mainly a bad thing, I suppose. I remember Jesse asking Neil quite early on whether sometimes he. Wa- I think it's when he watches. If he watch when he watches international games, does he sometimes get confused because he's watching it with sort of like his fantasy league hat on? I was Are you if able he was to thinking watch... about manual assists when exactly. he watches international games? <laughs> Are you? Do you watch all football with a fantasy league hat on, or do um, you move yourself? Not as much as I used to when I was sort of on my living room floor with the pause button on the VHS watching the assists in sort of grainy pauses and scribbling it down on a piece of paper. No, I've come more full circle to being more of a, a football fan and maybe that's to coincide with Arsenal actually becoming good again. But I have I have had a, I'm embarrassed to say I've had a sabbatical from the game for probably a couple of years. I think after 30 seasons, I just relaxed and, and haven't played the game for the last two years. But I will say on that note that in those 30 seasons, I never owned a Tottenham player. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't actually the greatest of sacrifices. Twenty-eight of the thirty seasons, but it's just one of those rules. Uh, so it was a rule. I think it was, it was a rule. further and no, 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 it, was, it wasn't even a rule. They were just never good enough. It was no. It was a total rule. It wasn't even like people could bait me at the auction because I, I didn't even ever bid for a Tottenham fan. It was like it was. It was just like a, a red line, literally a red line. See, that's so, like so the opposite of me because I always like almost want to bet my feelings so that if like Chelsea's rivals do well I might like benefit in some way yeah I used to we used to have a term for that I think we used to call that the emotional hedge yeah yeah it feels like, <laughs> like it, it feels like a very like utilitarian philosophical approach to playing fantasy league that you've got to find like your greatest happiness somewhere <laughs> yeah no I do it with other teams I definitely hedge my hedge my bets with other teams maybe listeners want to know if you do you have any advice for them and obviously you know you'll be revisiting the podcast studio, I'm sure, as the season goes on and as we approach next season's auction. So it doesn't even have to be auction-specific. But there's sort of one golden rule. Did you ever work out how to play the game that you invented, basically? Because I haven't worked out how to play it yet. No, I was all right. I mean, I won the league maybe once every four or five years. So I was sort of there or thereabouts. I was probably better in the season than at auctions. I was good at turning a bad auction into a decent season. But, yeah, I mean, the one thing... I heard somebody say a week or two ago was definitely one of my golden rules. Never bid for anyone who wanted the auction. That was one. Hmm. No, I, I never quite nailed the sort of three big players versus seven or eight moderate players. My takeaway was there are lots of ways to win. There's not just one way to win. It's not all about strikers. And obviously that depends on the season. Some seasons are big striker seasons. Some se- seasons are big defender seasons. So I think it's just obviously about the players. And that's what keeps us coming back every year. Thanks very much, Andrew. So, Neil, great to have you joining us now in part three. We just wanted to start by taking a little bit of an update on the Bournemouth-Luton game. Yep, and obviously we put out a statement on Tuesday. We hope to have a little bit more of an update um, on the pod uh, over the Christmas period. But I think the, the, the most important thing is to pass our best wishes to Tom Lockyer, to his family and to Luton Football Club. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all of us uh, pass our best wishes on to Tom Lockyer and Luton as a whole. Obviously, there have also been some other interventions we've had to have during the week. Let's have a quick look on some of those manual assists that, that went down. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a quite, quite a tricky weekend, actually, to actually have a look at the manual assists. So firstly, we'll cover the Tarkowski manual assist, which was uh, and has been awarded to him. And he nodded that into the path of King who took two attempts to get that into the back of the net. So that has been awarded to Tarkovsky as the last clean pass. The Rodri assist in the City versus Palace game was, yeah, a very difficult one to untangle. And that actually does show the benefit sometimes of waiting for 
additional footage from BBC or Match of the Day. Because actually, as you have a look at it on either the highlights package or on Sky, you know, there's a huge shout by masses of people about whether or not, you know, this has sort of bounced off the leg of Foden. But actually, it didn't reach Foden at all. Um, and the angle on BBC Match of the Day showed clearly it hitting, you know, a Palace defender and, and then looping up into the air ever so slightly touching Rodri. Now, I know people are going to go, what's you talking about? It didn't touch him, but I have done my freeze frame analysis and I've really gone into slowing this down. And there is a deviation, you know, when it hits the back of uh, of Rodri or the shoulder of Rodri and lands into the path of Rico Lewis and smashes it in the back of the net. So we have awarded... Rodri an assist for that particular goal. So I'm sure that will be open to lots of debate and I get that. But what we've tried to do is just sort of apply the rules this season as consistent as we can. So for that reason, Rodri gets an assist. The last one that I think uh, is possibly worth mentioning, although we haven't had any discussions about that, we've put a statement out on our manual assist update on the news feed, is there is no assist for Saka. We don't think that the ball would have arrived at uh, Jesus's you know, head um, had it not had a sort of a defensive header. So no assist for Saka. So a festive period, Neil, handing them out. It's nice to nice to see that Tarkovsky and Rodri were nice, but Saka was been naughty this year and didn't make it onto the onto the Santa list. Uh, there, in that, but really quickly, it was also good to see you, Neil, that you um, that you appeared in the the VAR room or perhaps in the the ear of the referee in the Man United game. Uh, against Liverpool, uh, where where we saw a, a case of double descent. I don't know whether that was something that you had a, from double assists to double <laughs> ascent. It was a similar sort of debate, sort of like where does one bit of descent start and where does one finish? Where does one assist start and where does one finish? But I don't know whether no, you had any in, influence to play in that one. No, I know. Well, I, I don't know whether I should I reveal you know my my team. I don't know whether that's a good thing. I don't know whether I've revealed it in the past or not. But um, I think it will confirm I, my I... suspicions. <laughs> Uh, I did sit and watch the game, you know, listened to your rant earlier on. Last week it was Chelsea, this week it was Liverpool. So, I, I, you know, I like the fact that it's balanced. Um, you know, in that respect, it's very good, you know. Pick, I'm know picking, off Villa's, I mean, picking off Villa's title challenges one by one to make sure they win the league. <laughs> <laughs> Nunes should probably have been booked, shouldn't he, really? Yeah, indeed. And well, yeah, so Neil, seeing as you're handing out the gifts, people can still uh, get in touch on, on the email, send in their, their Christmas lists uh, to you and any other requests or questions they may have. And I understand that those have been building up over recent days and recent weeks. Yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge, we, we've had quite a few emails in there and we're absolutely chuffed that there are, you know, lots of emails coming in and we've kept the pods to sort of, a, you know, a fairly sort of, you know, consistent timing. So apologies in particular to... Uh, to Paul Cameron, who we haven't got around to replying to. I will pick that up over the festive period and make sure that uh, in the next pod I cover off the points that Paul's raised. You know, and indeed, anything else that we haven't covered off, I'll try and make sure those are also addressed over the festive period. So please do continue to send your emails and tweets in. They really are valuable. So thanks ever so much. Yeah, and if you want to get in touch, it's podcast at fantasyleague.co.uk or you can find us on social media at Fantasy League. That wraps us up. For this week, we are heading straight into that Christmas uh, run of fixtures there. But for now, thanks, Chris, for joining us as always. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Andrew, for hopping on in part three. Thank you to the Calvaries who came on in part two. And thank you to producer Simon. Simon. 